Good morning, good morning, good morning. It's good to be here as always, and I'm excited this morning because I have felt the love, I have felt prayers, I have felt the word of God speak. Um, I'm looking for my husband, but I don't see him. Oh, there he goes, right there. <laughs> and then my parents are here, and my uh, mother-in-law is here, and my brother-in-law, and I will let you decide whose parent is whose. All right, all right. So let's get into the Word of God. If you have your Bibles, if you have your phones, if you have your iPads, I'm going to invite you to open them up um, and look for the book of Romans, to look for the book of Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. So if you are new and you're just using an actual physical Bible for the first time, just kind of go to the center If you see anyone named Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, you're close. Just move over two books, and Romans will be right there. And I'll be reading first from verses 18 through 25. All right. And actually, I'm reading from the contemporary English version, all right? And it says, I believe that the present suffering is nothing compared to the coming glory that is going to be revealed to us. The whole creation awaits breathless with anticipation for the revelation of God's sons and daughters. Creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice. It was the choice of the one who subjected it, but in the hope, in the hope that the creation itself will be set free from slavery to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of God's children. We know that the whole creation is groaning together and suffering labor pains up until now. And it's not only the creation. We ourselves have this, we ourselves who have the spirit as the first crop of the harvest also grown inside. As we wait to be adopted, as we wait to be adopted and for our bodies to be set free. We were saved in hope. Now, if we see what we hope for, that isn't hope. Who hopes for what they already see? But if we hope for what we don't see, we wait for it with patience. If I can have you bow your heads with me just one more time. Holy Spirit, you are here, and God, you reign. And so we just pray that you move and that you use what feeble words are here to give somebody hope. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So I want to ask you a question before we start. If you knew that something wonderful was going to happen to you tomorrow, do you think it would make a difference in the way you live today? Let's just suppose that tomorrow you were going to win a large sum of money. That you were going to move into a really luxurious house. Or be promoted to be the president of a company. I like this one's my favorite. You you, You would lose your physical blemishes. That means that body of girth, those extra unwanted pounds... Or maybe you would acquire <laughs> you would acquire some skills and abilities. 
if you knew for sure that one of those things were going to happen, don't you think it would affect the way you live today? I would think it would. It would probably put, in, put you in a good frame of mind. Things wouldn't bother you so much. People wouldn't get on your last nerve as easily. And you probably would start to live in the light of who you're going to be tomorrow. And the book of Romans is this book that really is speaking to this issue. Paul is talking to Christians in Rome. And he's been encouraging overall. He acknowledges the, the big elephant in the room, which is sin. But for the most part, Paul's really seeking to show that there's forgiveness uh, found in Christ. He writes about God's faithfulness. He talks about uh, being justified by faith and not by works. And he's also talking about the peace and joy that come to people who follow him. And then in the midst of all that, he drops this bomb. And he just starts talking about suffering. But he does it in such a way that he couches it in between two of the most magnificent promises that I think exist in the Bible. In chapter 8, verse 1, he starts by saying, There is now no condemnation for anyone who's in Jesus. And then he couches it with the other end of nothing. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Not life, not death, not angels, not demons, not your past, not your past, and not even your present. Not evil powers, not height, nor depth, not anything created by God can separate us from that love. And so it's in between these two promises that, that Paul talks about no condemnation and no separation that he introduces his, his theology on suffering. Now, if anybody had any credibility about suffering, it was Paul. Some of us, I'm sure, can sit here and say, well, I've been through some stuff. But Paul had been through some stuff. If you are experiencing some challenging times this morning, I encourage you to go to the second book of Corinthians, where Paul lays it all out about what he's been through. See, he uses words like, I didn't think I was going to make it out of Asia. He felt he was on death row. He thought his life was over. Paul had been imprisoned and flogged. Severely, he'd been beaten five times with a lash, three times with a rod, and pelted with rocks one time. He was shipwrecked three times and constantly on the move. And he'd been in danger with bandits. He'd almost even drowned. He was in danger by not only his own countrymen, but other Gentiles. And he faced danger at every single turn, whether in the city or in the country. He knew what it was to go without sleep, to go without food, to go without water. And he'd also been cold and naked. See, Paul really understood suffering. It gave him credibility. He knew what it was to groan. He knew what it was to be frustrated and, and subjected to something that was not meant for him. And he understood what it meant to be enslaved and feel in despair. Is anyone feeling dis in despair this morning? But what I find amazing about Paul, and we don't really talk a lot about this about Paul, this side of him, this aspect of him, is he was really a vulnerable guy. He actually 
didn't come to church or go to his meeting when someone asked him, how are you, and just kind of smile and say, I'm good. No, actually, Paul, Paul was real. He was authentic to his feelings. He was, he was, he talked about the challenges that he faced daily. And in speaking of his suffering, I, I want to encourage us to remember that he's given us permission to talk about our sufferings. We don't have to suffer alone. But suffering wasn't just relegated to, um, to Paul. It actually, we have to go back to Genesis, where Pastor Walt took us two weeks ago in this series that we've been doing. And we go back, and for 64 verses in the Bible, for only 64 verses in the entire Bible, everything was told. That Hebrew word that Pastor Walt threw out there. It was good. It was perfection, if we can imagine perfection. There was harmony that nature didn't have a single blemish. That lion and the lamb actually sat side by side. And God and his creation actually talked face to face every single day. Adam and Eve had a job, and it was to take care of the earth. All of this was paradise. The Bible says that God looked at everything and said it was good until it wasn't. During a transatlantic flight, and uh, the pilot came over the intercom and said, Ladies and gentlemen, I'm delighted to be your pilot for the plane's flight. I can tell you the flight is going well. Nevertheless, I have to tell you a minor inconvenience that has occurred. The passengers on the right-hand side, if you look right outside the window, you're going to see an engine slightly vibrating. Don't worry. Now, if you're still looking out the window, I want you to look a little bit further down, and you're going to see another engine that's missing. But don't worry. Planes are able to uh, have four engines, and it could still fly with two. And since I'm talking about this, those of you on the left-hand side of the airplane, I want you to notice that one is uh, slightly bright. It's actually burning. Don't worry. We're still okay. And if those of you who are sitting in the center of the plane, you might notice, if you look closely, that there is a crack going down the middle of the plane. And if you look closely enough, you might see the Atlantic Ocean waves. <laughs> and if you're really, really good, you'll see a raft that we threw out about 10 minutes ago. Some of you, I suppose, are able to see that crack. In fact, in fact, ladies and gentlemen, we are, you should be happy to know that your captain is keeping a close eye on the plane and progress is well from the lifeboat. <laughs> so things really began to fall apart in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. And it only took, Pastor Tim talked about this a little last week, it only took seven verses and paradise was lost. What used to be good... And, was per and what was perfect became imperfect. What had been made to be in the image of God now had a bent towards evil. By their own choice, Adam and Eve believed that the, but what the serpent said about them, 
rather than what God had to say, that they were tov and that they were perfect. And for the next 66 books of the Bible, 1,187 chapters and 31,038 verses, we seem to get this picture of hell being unleashed on earth. Perfection disappears and there's this gap between us and God. And death now becomes part of our life. Groans and pains were introduced to Adam and Eve. And after that, it was murder, it was war, it was uh, human trafficking and floods and uh, sacrificing. It was all of this mess that came with this one decision in the garden. And what I found interesting was this is the first time I realized that the concept of race was created. You see, in the Hebrew, this ima- the, the word made in the image is actually image bearers of God, reflectors of his nature. And see, I realize that when we don't know who we come from, we're very susceptible to listen to somebody else and let them tell us who we are. We start becoming defined by certain aspects of our life when we don't know in whose image we were made. And here, I I love this this quote that I found that came from John Piper. Oh, excuse me. So we we lose our perspective of image. And John Piper writes it this way. He says, the point of image is to image. Images are erected to display an original to the point to point to the original, to glorify the original. God made humans in his image so that the world would be filled with reflectors of God. Seven billion statues of God walking around. But instead, we've become Americans, African Americans, Latinos, Europeans, Chinese, Filipino, Iranians. We've become... Uh, Democrats and Republicans, we've become uh, liberal or conservative, we've become pro-women's ordination or anti-women's ordination. We have forgotten that the first and foremost uh, image that we were to reflect our sons and daughters of God. And as image bearers, as reflections of who God is, Our responsibility, and I'm not going to list them all out because it's too long, but our primary responsibility is to love God before ourself. It's to preach the gospel. What That we're to do good because good has been done to us. We're to defend the needy. And the list goes on and on and on. And, And Paul writes in 2 Corinthians, he says, I want you to be ambassadors of Jesus Christ. Unlike the pilot who bailed out on the ship a little while, uh, the, uh, the plane a little while ago, God did not bail out on Adam and Eve. You see, it was he who came looking for Adam and Eve in the very next verse. See, what I thought were 31,000 verses of, of hell being unleashed on earth really is 31,000 plus verses of God telling the story of his hope, his glory, and his redemption of human beings. Yes, it only took one verse, and he only asked one question, where are you? I ask you, church, this morning, where are you? Where are you? 
God is with us in our suffering. That is the first glimpse of hope. It wasn't at the cross. It was when God came to the garden and asked the question, Adam and Eve, where are you? And it's from that point forward that this beautiful, magnificent story of who God is starts to, starts to grow. But again, the suffering didn't just affect us. It, it affected, it affected, oh, is it, it affected, it, uh, excuse me, it affected our own lives. Yes, that's why there's cancer and depression. There's loneliness and addiction. That's why in our world, one in five children go to bed hungry. That's why children at the age of five are sold into the sex trade, exploitation of immigrants. 7.8 billion people, and people are still lonely. Paul says we are pressed on every side with trouble, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but we're not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we're not destroyed. Church, the suffering won't last forever. You see, the, Paul likes to explain it like a woman being pregnant in the text. He says that there are labor pains going. If there, I'm, There's all these moms and women in here who have given birth, and you have felt the pains, and it has hurt. But there was something about that pain that made you push through it because you knew the end result. It was going to be that beautiful baby that you were going to hold in your hands. And that is our experience. And what Paul is trying to convey to us, this is the hope that we have. We are actually image bearers of God. When God created us, the text tells us that there is going to be a revelation. God is going to reveal some glory that is already inside of us. But suffering hasn't only affected us. It's actually affected creation. That's why it groans. That's what the text says, it groans. And, and, and we have to think about that because in, original, in the original way, God created and intended the world to glorify and show who he is. You see Romans, in Romans, Paul, one, chapter 1, verse 20, he goes on and he says, ever since the creation of the world, God's invisible quality, ever since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen because they are understood through the things God has made so that humans have no excuse. You see, creation groans. Creation groans not because it feels enslaved and it's going into decay. I mean, we only need to look at the news right now. What is the biggest story? Australia. 136 fires burning all at the same time. 100... Uh, 14, 14.7 million acres destroyed and 400 animal, 480 million animals and species completely devastated. In 2019, they were listed, there were listed 300 uh, natural disasters, 22 million people dis displaced and many more dead. See, you can believe or not believe in climate change. That's an individual choice. But what all of this, the earth groaning, these fires and all these issues happening in our world, what it does point to is what scripture says, that it is truth. 
in Matthew, Jesus said, these are indications of what is to come. Earthquakes and famines, labor pains. Our earth is going through labor pains. See, the earth longs to be restored, just like you and I. We, want to, we, want, we don't want this body that we have. Don't you want to stop waking up sore in the morning? Don't you want to be able to eat what you want? Don't you want to have your hair back? Don't you want to stop trying to color and hide the color that it originally is? Yes, we long to be restored, but it's not just this physical restoration that God is talking about. He's talking about a deeper restoration. But before we get to that deeper restoration, I want to go back a little bit uh, further just to our, our earth. We were given the job to take care of the earth. It was our, it is our responsibility. And as, and because this earth reflects God's power and God's nature, should we not take care of this earth? Now, I'm not saying we need to save it. That's for God to do. When he comes, he will restore the earth. But don't you think we can become less more thought, uh, we can be more, we can, uh, (laughs) let's move from being consumers to being contributors. See, we, we can't save the planet, but we can think about what we buy. We can think about where it comes from. We can look at the chemicals that that go into the water. We can hold our government accountable for what they are doing and what they are not doing. It's part of reflecting God's glory. See, we're not going to learn to be in God's glory uh, until we get to heaven. Actually, that's happening now. It's this process that's coming out. We're all in this process of revealing God's character here on earth. And so... Paul moves on and he uses this phrase, this language of adoption. Now, I've never adopted kids and I've heard of people that that have. They've told me about it. And they tell me it's this really lengthy process. A lot of legal work has to go into adopting, adopting a child. Well, that same scenario applies to our life. We long to be adopted by God. And there is this lengthy process in which we live here on earth. And we have to have pain. We experience pain, but the, but the word of God says there is hope and there is, there is restoration coming to us. Now, we talked a little bit about what, what this glory looks like. We talked about the aches and pains, but what about the depression and Alzheimer's and the dementia? Can you imagine your world without that? Cancer or diabetes or cataracts, gone. Taxes and health care, gone. Democrats and Republicans, gone. Man-made laws that are oppressive, gone. No more homelessness, no more addiction, no more money. Oh, you guys got quiet, really quiet. There's a light chuckling there, no money. Can you imagine a world with no money? And those cell phones that you're all looking at right now? that you've gotten so accustomed to looking down, rather at looking at somebody's face, gone. You're going to have to look at Jesus. Amen. You're going to have to talk to him. You're going to have to look him at the eye. No more selfies. No more selfies. That is the hope we have 
to be in this presence of God. It's not just going to be about our physical change. It's going to be about this spiritual change that we are going to be in the presence of God. And you know what? What else is going to be gone? Grace. Think about that. The grace that we hold on to as Christians no longer exists because what God has done with grace, he has completed it. We will be in the presence of the author of grace. No more wondering, no more doubting, am I going to be in the kingdom? No more thinking about guilt. No more trying to understand things about ourselves and trying to do what is right, but struggling with the self that doesn't, can't do right. We will be in the presence of God. And our suffering is coming to an end. And I love the, the picture that, that Paul paints about what, what glory, what hope looks like. You see, he, Paul talks about hope in verse 24, and he uses it like four or five times in that text. And I had to just sit with that for a moment because I wanted to really understand what is this hope that Paul is talking about? And then I went to 2 Corinthians chapter uh, 15, and it says, Christ will come, then suffer, all suffering will end, and Jesus, Jesus will hand over the kingdom to God. All our enemies, all our suffering, all our fears, all our anxieties, even Satan himself will be under God's foot. See, death will be destroyed. When Christ appears, we're going to be like him. He says he will transform our bodies. And then he uses this fabulous phrase as he says, I'm making all things new. Everything about you is going to be new. We will be perfect. We will look like God. Never ending, never dying. Raised in glory and in power. When we return to our, our original state as image bearers, creation that's holding its breath and waiting to see this unveiling happen, it will happen when Christ comes. So that is the hope that Paul is trying to project and trying to, to tell his listeners, his readers. But this is what Paul does, and I think he does it just for our benefit. Because sometimes we seem to take as human beings a lot of credit for what God does. And so he says, he talks about hope being it's not. We are saved in hope. If we see hope, then it isn't hope. Because who hopes for what they see? See, we talk about hope and we say, well, I hope I get married. I hope I go to get into that great college. I hope, I hope, I hope my kids turn out okay. Stop wishing on a star. Disney has been making billions off of that by calling Disneyland the happiest place on earth. We've bought into this dream that this is the earth we're going to live in. And if we just wish enough, if we just wish enough, it's going to happen. Listen to the lyrics. When you wish upon a star, makes no difference who you are. Anything your heart desires will come true. Kids, cover your ears. It's a lie. Because I know every person in this room could lift their hand and say, yeah, I wished for something that I didn't get, and I wished hard. It's not true. 
Disneyland just wants your money. <laughs> you see, hope, hope is not a wish. It's not a wish. It's uh, hope, hope, hope is not a wish. The hope of the Christian is not based on the strength of a person's desire. Hope is not based on human beings. No, Scripture says that hope, hope is confidence. But hope and confidence in who? It says confidence in what God has promised. He will do it. And the strength of the hope is not based on you and me. It's based on the God who promised it. He is faithful. We're not, but he is. So whatever you are hoping for this morning, if you can see it, it's time to let it go. If you're hoping in your bank account, it's time to let it go. If you're hoping... In a relationship, it's time to let it go. If you're hoping on a job title, your influence, your great health, your house, your knowledge of the Bible, but you still don't know Jesus, you got to let it go. Because if you can see it, it will fail us. God wants us to give him our full attention he is the only one in this universe who can give us the desires of our heart and sometimes we don't even know what the right desire is so wouldn't you rather trust somebody who knows what your heart is telling you than what you think that is the hope that is what we have if you see what you hope for that isn't hope who hopes for what they can already see? But if you hope for what you don't see, we wait with, for it with patience. And then I went to Revelation. Because it is the most glorious picture of what Christ will come and what this restoration is actually going to look like. And sometimes we need to read that over and over. If, you're, if you have your Bibles, it's Revelation chapter 21. Four, verse, four, verse 4 through 7, you see, this second coming of Christ is going to blow our minds away. He says, he will wipe away every tear from our eyes. Death will be no more. There's not going to be any more crying, mourning, or pain. For the former things, everything before he comes, it's going to be gone then the one seated on the throne said look i'm making all things new i'm going to be made new i don't know what that's going to look like but i know it's going to be a better version of what this is and then he said write this down and here it is for these words are trustworthy and true they're not my words they're they're god revealing through john what he's saying then he said, all is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will freely give water from the life-giving spring. Those who emerge victorious will inherit these things. I will be their God and they will be my sons and daughters. 
this is, we're going full circle where Pastor Walt started through two, three weeks ago talking about the Garden of Eden, everything in there being good. We're coming full circle. We will return, we will return to the place where everything was good. This has been the, this has been the point the entire time. It's the reason God gave his only son. It's the reason that he wants to be with us in eternity. But more than that, this experience is going to reveal and tell the world who God is and whom he has always been. So if you are struggling this morning and you feel like there is no hope, there is hope. There is always hope. And it's not based on doctors or anything like that. It's based on this God who created you and he will make all things new. I asked you earlier the question. If you knew that something wonderful was going to happen to you tomorrow, do you think it would affect the way you live today? And that question each one of us needs to answer. You know that the promises of God are faithful and true. We know that he is a faithful-keeping God. His word said it, so he will complete it. And so this morning, I want to leave you with the thought, the promise is yours. The promise is yours. The decision now is, am I going to believe it or am I not? I hope, I hope that each one of us, through our struggles, through our trials, through the things that hurt, through the things you are currently experiencing that have no rhyme or reason, you will cling to the hope of what God said he's going to do, and that is make all things new. He will restore everything that has been broken. I want to invite you to bow your heads with me this morning. God, as we heard earlier this morning, you reign. And we are so grateful that you do. We are grateful that everything will be made new. But more importantly, God, we thank you that we, broken human beings and all, will one day be restored and stand in your presence. We'll go back to Eden as you had originally intended for life to be in those 64 verses where everything was good. Father God, for those who struggle right now and who are going through difficult times, we just lift them up to you. May they have the courage to trust you, Father God. And when they don't have the courage, may we be a church to walk with them, to support them, to encourage them in the difficulties that this life has to offer. Father God, we worship you now. We just want to say thank you and say you are holy, holy, holy. And God, I can't wait till we're in your presence. And we will dance, literally dance. We will sing. We will raise hands. And some of us may just even sit in awe of the fact that we're even there. But we give, give you our hearts this morning. And we trust you with our suffering. And we look forward to the glory and the restoration that is to come. 
In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.